We're kicking off this new year of 2021 with my good buddy, Mike Herz, and we're going to talk all things elk. Let's do this. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. How's it going? Episode number 53. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Tine studio right here in Hayden, Idaho. Uh, guys, welcome to 2021. We are just rolling right along here. I hope uh, I hope this year is going to be a little less crazy than last year, but so far, it's really not looking that way. So <laughs> we'll be watching that closely for sure. Um, today, I got a great episode. Uh, my buddy, Mike Herz, out of Western Washington, joins me. And he's a crazy good Roosevelt elk hunter and uh, just a just a great all-around outdoorsman to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about everything. Uh, we mo- mostly focus on elk. We talk a lot of stip- or, or, I'm sorry, tips and strategies and stuff like that. And then we also talk about black bear hunting and some of the issues you guys in Washington that are listening uh, are facing. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that and pay attention because in the show notes, I'm going to provide a link that will allow you to join uh, into the session for the Washington Fish and Wildlife Service uh, little like Zoom meeting that they're going to be doing in a couple of days, depending on when you listen to this. Uh, I believe it's happening on the 8th, so I'm going to I'm gonna throw that link in there if you guys have the time to join in because they're getting a bunch of outside influences uh, like out of California, something like these, Alla, or I'm sorry, the, the animal rights activists are jumping on there and voicing their opinions and uh, the Washington Fish and Wildlife Service has taken that as if that's Washington residents talking to them and hunters talking to them, and it's not. And and you know that, and I know that. So um, if you have time, let's help those guys out and join in on that meeting. Uh, no matter what state you're in and whether or not you're a, a, a bear hunter, uh, we could join in and voice our opinions and, and help Washington out, kind of balance that out, keep those anti-hunting radical weirdos out of out of our business so um that's that before we get to that with mike because uh, i do want to tell you a little bit more about that um i do have i want to kick the year off uh with a good start with a strong start to uh, these trivia questions we've been doing because we had such a good response um the only thing i'm going to change with those is when you guys answer the trivia questions and write into me at jim at the western huntsman.com please put in the subject line trivia or trivia question, just trivia. Make sure the word trivia is in the subject line because I get so many of those. I have to, I have to like go through and figure out which ones are actually answering the trivia questions. And that'll just kind of make my life a little bit easier. So, um, when you answer the trivia questions, type in trivia in the subject line so I can kind of organize that. I need a little more organization in my life, right? Who doesn't? Okay, so we're going to kick it off uh, with with kind of a fun one here. The trivia question uh, for this episode is going to be, which elk subspecies has the largest antlers and 
which elk subspecies has the largest body. And I'm going to give you a little hint. They are not the same. So write into me, jim at thewesternhuntsman.com, and let me know your answers. So what I do, if you guys are not familiar with this, is I compile all the answers, and I put them into a spreadsheet, and uh, we we do, I don't know, five or six trivia questions, and, and then I take all those, and uh, we do a drawing, and, and I think this one's going to go down in like March. And I was I was talking to the uh, Dirk over at Phelps, and uh, we were talking about doing like a little call, elk calling package. And so uh, I'm going to try to keep these ones mainly elk related, but I do have some that are non-elk related, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we'll do the drawing. And so somebody's going to win like a t-shirt of, uh, you know, like the Western Huntsman t-shirt. And they're also going to win, you know, a bugle tube and maybe a couple of reeds or, or something along those lines. I haven't totally figured that part out yet, but it's going to be cool. going to be cool. So, uh, guys, again, welcome to 2021. This is a new year. It's a fresh year. Uh, I'm not one of those dudes that gets all hung up on like, um, you know, the lame new year's resolutions and, and things like that, that, uh, I, I think kind of most people just let flow by the wayside eventually. Uh, but it is a fresh start and it's kind of like this, uh, it's kind of a time to start thinking about your 2021 hunts. And like for me, I was going to put in for, for this, uh, specific area in Wyoming, but I'm actually going to wait. I, I, I think if I, if I waited out one more year, I have, I have enough points for Wyoming elk, uh, for this other unit that looks to be quite a bit better. So, I uh, got points building up there. Uh, Wyoming is out for me, but I do. Let, let me just run through, like for my goals, what what I've set as a goal. I want two turkeys this year. I want a black bear. Uh, I've got I've got a cool black bear season. Looks it looks like is is going to be lining up for the spring, uh, and uh, that's going to be cool. Stay tuned for that one. And and then uh, I I do want a wolf, and that's going to be mainly this winter. And I I say only one wolf. I I have like uh, seven tags or something like that. It's ridiculous. Uh, But if you've ever hunted wolves, it is. uh, I I don't know that there's any hunter out there that is uh, hunting wolves. Now I'm not talking about trappers. Trappers do this all the time. But hunters, I don't know of anybody that's hunted and successfully taken seven wolves in one season. So one wolf, I'd be pretty happy. Uh, and that's what I'll be going for here, uh, shortly in the next, actually then over the next couple of months, I'm going to be pursuing that. So especially if this weather keeps cooperating, I'm actually able to get to places. Uh, coyotes, uh, the reason I'm, I've always been, I've kind of taken like a, a break from coyote hunting the last few years and I want to get back into it. I used to be a prolific coyote caller and I would call coyotes in and uh, I'd, I'd whack them. I, I flung arrows at them. I tried it with my bow. I've never hit one with my bow though, because they're they, it's like they're the, the bow is just like too slow or something. Because as soon as I, I I you know set that release and launch that arrow, they they jump or move or whatever. And and it's fun though. It is super fun if you can call in a coyote and then fling an arrow. <laughs> it's it's a pretty good time. But uh, I'll be taking the rifle out and uh, doing that. And my my reason for that is obviously you know predator control is important and everything. But um, for me, I wanna I wanna work on uh, another one of my goals as an outdoorsman this year is I wanna work on tanning hides. Um, I, I did that in the past. I've done it uh, in the past back when I was younger and didn't have uh, little kids. And so now my kids are a little bit bigger and I want to pass that down and show them how to tan hides. And I do it the old school way. I use a brain 
and I'm not very good at it. And so I want to, I want to kind of perfect that this year. And coyotes are a great way to do that because if you, if you jack up the fur or whatever, it's not like some huge financial loss. You know what I mean? Um, unlike like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it on a wolf, uh, on my own right now. But I will do it on some coyotes, and once I get uh, proficient with, uh, you know, tanning out some coyote hides, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll happily do it with a wolf. So that is definitely on the on the docket. If any of you are listening in like Eastern Washington or Northern Idaho or Western Montana, and you have a big ranch and property, and um, you'd be willing to let me come and hunt some coyotes on on your property, what I do is I do do it with a rifle, and I call them in, and I'm pretty good at it. Uh, I used to. I used to stack Yodis up in the back of my truck back in the day when they had a bounty on them, and that's that's how I would like pay for gas and and uh, uh, you know whatever I didn't I wanted to pay for it at the time. I'd buy hunting gear with it, but uh, they used to they used to pay like 50 bucks a Yodi, and they they stopped doing that, and so I haven't done that in a while. But uh, if you if you have a coyote problem on your property, hey, I'm your man. I'll do it for free. And, uh, I'll, I, because I know for like a lot of ranchers and landowners, the coyotes can be a serious nuisance and and sometimes they, they end up paying people to do it and, and trap it or go out and trap it, which in, in, you know, all honesty and, and fair, um, you know, however you want to put that trapping is going to be less intrusive and more, um, successful than me with my call, but I can, and if you're willing, shoot me an email at jimatthewesternhuntsman.com, and I will come out there and do what I can to get rid of those wily, rascally old coyotes, you know, that we all love. Okay, there's that. Uh, I'm just reading through my list here, goal-wise. Yeah, so possibly I'll be going to Arizona for a coos deer hunt. I won't know more about that for a couple weeks, but uh, that is definitely on my radar uh, with, with somebody I'm talking with about it. I talked about Wyoming being out for me. I'll probably put in for Montana for elk. Definitely get an Idaho elk tag. Uh, so September will definitely be a full and busy month. Um, I, personally, I want one mule deer and one whitetail, and I'm not sure how I'm going to work that. I think I'm going to do the mule deer in Montana and the whitetail in Idaho, uh, and that's going to be the goal. But my one kind of non-personal, I, I guess it's still personal. It's a personal goal. I want to get a deer for my daughter. Uh, my daughter is 11 years old and uh, she is ready to go and I am going to be picking her up a, a new rifle because I don't know I, I want her to have a scope on and she could shoot my little 30-30 but I, I don't know it's iron sights I'm going to get her one with a scope and I don't want to put a scope on that thing so um, that's the goal I want a deer for my daughter uh, in fact that's probably going to trump my my deer hunting personally uh, to an extent so and lastly in terms of hunting for me what I'd really like to do is I'd like to up my, uh, no pun intended, I'd like to up my upland game hunting. Um, upland game, specifically pheasants, used to be a huge part of my season. And I've kind of fallen out of that habit. Um, and, and I kind of want to get back into it. I miss doing it. The, and I think the reason is, the I, I would take, uh, you know, I've talked about Trevor, my dog, on the show several times. He's, he's uh, just about 10 years old. He's got some arthritis and stuff, and so I kind of I stopped taking him out. Uh, I got I, I I don't like to see him in pain, uh, and I know there's ways to reduce that and all that kind of stuff. But uh, he just he he really worked his butt off. He used to be a great bird dog, 
And the only problem is, is he had a tendency to find porcupines and I'm sick of por- uh, pulling needles out of his face. So it's kind of what killed it for me. And I got out of it and I, I want to change that. I want to get out and do some upland game hunting and I want to go with friends and, and family or, and whatnot and go out and hit the fields and, and see if we can find some pheasants. Uh, that's uh, I used to love that. It used to be one of my, in fact, I used to love pheasant hunting to an extent in which I would not go deer hunting, um, so that I can go pheasant hunting uh, when I had limited vacation time and things like that. And so, which is crazy for me because I much prefer hunting deer, but I do love upland games. So anyway, I don't know if that's of interest to you guys, but I thought I'd share what those goals are. Gives me a little bit of accountability to stick with. And um, maybe ho- hopefully that'll help you guys kind of organize. What I do is I, I write this stuff down uh, so that I know and I'm tracking it as a year goes by. You know, where am I at? Have I have I gotten those turkeys? Did I get a black bear? Did I, you know, what all these things that I'm I've I've got written down as kind of this accountability thing. Uh, I like I like the goal setting uh, setting goal method that uh, that I use and it's um, you know it's a good way to kind of just track your year and and keep your keep you accountable. So maybe that helps inspire you guys to write down some of your goals for this year uh, in terms of hunting. This episode, like I said, Mike is. Uh, He's a buddy of mine. Uh, he's a great hunter. He, uh, we're going to basically, so he hunts mainly Roosevelt elk. In fact, I think that's all he's hunted elk wise, but he's really, really good at it. And a lot of the, basically from what I know, because I don't know much about hunting Roosevelt's, but what I do know is that most people that have hunted both tell me that, you know, there's not a lot of difference. So like the tips and strategies and stuff that Mike talks about can be applied to Rocky Mountain Elk as well. I think that's a, it's a really good conversation. Now that said, I do have to warn you guys up front. For some reason, I had this weird internet situation going on where Mike and I had a delay and it makes it sound like we're having, at times during the conversation, it makes it sound like we're having this real awkward conversation. And like there's these kind of these gaps in between when I stop talking and he starts talking or vice versa. And other times I start talking over him or he starts talking over me. And it was just kind of chaotic. It came out chaotic because of that. Uh, but uh, I didn't really have any way to r- really fix that in the conversation to kind of tighten those up. So I just I'm just running it like this. Um, not sure why we had such a delay there, but uh, the information is still good. And I just tell you guys that so that a you're prepared for it and b you don't think it was like some awkward conversation because it wasn't. Uh, we had a we had a great conversation, uh, and he's a great guy. You guys are gonna like him. And uh, let me know what you think at Jim at the Western Huntsman.com. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at the Western Huntsman. Um, I think that's it, right? You guys got anything else? No, no. Okay, the one side of conversation. Dog doesn't have anything else either. <laughs> All right, guys. Enjoy this conversation with Mike Hers, and let's get into it right now. story is when they immigrated back from Germany. In German, it's pronounced Hertz. Well, when they came over to America, there's no T in it, so no one pronounced it that way. So they put the T in it. Oh, gotcha. And the other part of the family said, you know, we're not changing it, so we're just going to leave it at hers. 
So that's I just roll with it, you know, during football and stuff. It mispronounced my name. I just, mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. <laughs> just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. It's I, I said your name, I think it was on last week's episode or something. And as I was recording, because uh, you wrote you wrote in talking about how the moose grow a pound of antler a day during their peak growth time, you know. And, right. uh, and, and so anyways, yeah, I, I, I said your name and I'm like, shit, man, I hope I said that right. Because it's, it's kind of, it's, it's easy to spell, but it could be totally misleading how to pronounce. Yeah. So, no, you did just fine. Anyway. Perfect, man. All right, guys. Well, on the line today, I have got a buddy of mine, uh, that I've known a while, but we've never actually met like in person. So this is going to be a cool conversation. I'm talking with Mike Hers. He's out of Klamath, Washington. And Mike is a, uh, he's one of those really good hunters. If you, if you kind of, whether you're friends with him on Facebook or whatever, you kind of follow along. Uh, he's, he's a prolifically successful hunter, whether it comes to bear, uh, when it comes to elk, whether it comes to deer, wh- whatever we're talking about. Uh, Mike, it is, uh, I'm super excited to have you on, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. So let's uh, I, let's start with uh, kick it off like we usually do. Uh, where are you from? Uh, how'd you grow up? How'd you get into hunting? All that kind of good stuff. Um, well, I live here in Kalama, Washington, and uh, grew up in Washougal, which if uh, any motocross people are out there, that's where they have nationals for motocross every year. And just uh, started hunting when I was 13 with my dad, and we used to do a lot of I don't know if we call it road hunting, but we drove a lot on the roads, glass clear cuts, and never, <laughs> is it never really, really got. Is it road hunting when <laughs> is it really considered road hunting if if you're not like shooting from the road, but you're just kind of I don't know scouting. I always scout from the road for a while and then pick a place to go. So, I, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I see a lot of guys the same trucks, the same cars year after year, driving the road back and forth, back and forth. To me, that's road hunting. But if you're just, you know, like you're saying, driving the road, scouting, checking out some areas, then, but you get behind some of these guys, I'm trying to get from point A to point B, and they're driving about two miles an hour. They have no idea I'm behind them. Oh, I know, that drives me crazy, man. You know, and I'm like, come on, just pull over. I won't stop your hunt. You can continue your hunt. Just let me get on to where I need to go, you know. (laughs) <laughs> you're going to be just as unsuccessful being behind me as you're going to be being in front of me. So get out of the damn way. <laughs> yeah, ex- <laughs> you know what I mean? exactly. I'm, I'm pretty driven person. So I want to get to where I, I've got a pace. I want to be, I got that place in mind. I want to get there. And, but I know there's guys that, that do it and are successful, but I just, I don't have the, I guess I don't have the patience for that. I can't do it. I have to be out moving. No, I just, I can't do it. Yeah, I'm the same way, man. I finally, I feel like I like, uh, I, I, I grew in, in maturity or something because I'm, I'm finally able to spend like four hours in a deer blind when I'm hunting whitetails. That's, that's huge for me because I know there's dudes that could sit all day long and whether they're, yeah. they're they'll either go road hunting or, or set a, sit in a tree stand or a blind or something. I, I can go about four hours and then I've had it. I got to move. Well, that's about three and a half hours longer than I can. I, I don't know what it is. I, I always have to be moving, but I'm getting to the point where like this spot my brother and I found this year during late elk, we saw a ton of big blacktail bucks 
And the most effective way for us to do it is to start to be in tree stands because to steel hunt them in this particular areas, you know, going to be not very productive. So I think we're going to have to make sure. a plunge and, and start doing the tree stand thing. So we will see. I mean, yeah, that's, how I, I yeah. that's how I grew up hunting was, was steel hunting. You know, I'd go with my dad and to his credit, he would, you know, when him and his dad hunted, that's all I did was look at clear cuts, go to the next one, go clear cuts. Well, by the time I started hunting, those clear cuts started overgrowing and all you're left with was the big timber. And so that's mm-hmm. how I grew up hunting was hunting timber, still hunting ridges, canyons, and just, you know, just methodically going really slow through the area that we were hunting. And once I started doing that, we started shooting deer. What, like, so mainly when you were growing up, was it mainly deer hunting or did you guys do any elk hunting? I think my, I think the year I graduated, we drew some cow tags for rifle and we really didn't really know what we were doing at the time. And we basically were just, you know, road hunting, looking for elk. I think some Mm -hmm. cows ran across the road in front of us and, and that was about the extent of it. When I graduated high school, me and my buddy Jason, we started getting into bow hunting and I just, I mean, that really just a really just piqued my interest a lot. Took a new turn there. Oh man. And yeah, I think the first year, is that when you started calling them? Oh, Uh, sorry, man. We we've got kind of a delay going on here. Sorry about that. I don't know why the delay is so bad, but we're kind of stepping on each other. Sorry. No, that's all right. Uh, no, we'll get through it. I'll tell you, I was, uh, I was really intimidated about calling for a long, long time. And basically I would just still hunt elk and we would have, I think we had some, um, external reads that we would use, but you know, we were kids, we didn't know what we were doing. And so we would sit in meadows and just still hunt the timber. It wasn't until about, I don't know, maybe at the most eight years ago that I really started not being, you know, scared of the bugle and, you know, didn't want to scare him away. Now I, now I don't care because <laughs> they're, they'll, they'll put up. That's super of... interesting, man. <laughs> yeah. They'll... Yeah. That's, that's exactly what happened. Like I, like I, when I was, when I first started, when I got out of the service and started elk hunting again, uh, it was it, this, this old timer I was hunting with was like, yeah, don't use a bugle. You, all you do is scare elk away. That's all that'll happen. So just use cow calls. And so I'd go out there and I'd be super timid with cow calls too. So kind of the same thing with you, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't my, my, my youngest brother and I, um, him and I are the ones that hunt the most together, deer, elk, bear, the whole nine yards. But I mean, well, I mean, Mm -hmm. I've got that read in my mouth 24 seven all the time, September, all the way through the end of December when we're elk hunting. Um, Not so much as, in December when the late season is because they've been, they've been, uh, hit pretty hard. So we'll just every once in a while, I'll give a little new in September. We're always using it. So you'll, you'll hit that. You'll take your calls out in like the December late archery hunt, huh? Yeah. Just, just cow calls. No bugle. Well, I will, I will tell yeah. you this two years ago, it was the craziest thing ever. It was uh Thanksgiving day. And there were two bulls, full-on bugle, rut fest, tearing up trees, fighting. 
I, I couldn't believe it. They were, there was a hot cow in there. I don't know really? if like, it was her like third cycle, you know, but man, they were chasing her. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. We never could get on them, but that's crazy. Was, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it has and something that, to do that's, with That's in December. Yep. Yep. Well, no, it was Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving oh. Day. So it just, it just or started. Or Thanksgiving still. Day still. Yeah. Yeah, still, that's super late, dude. I've never heard them oh, screaming yeah. that, that late in the year. I actually, I cow called a bull on in December. It was like December, it was the 16th. It was the last day of our late archery here in, in Idaho. And uh, I, there was like this five by six uh, kind of up above me on this. He was kind of side hilling like 80 yards up from me. And I, you know, as archery, I had to get closer, but I was maxed out. The timber line was right there. I couldn't go any further. He'd bust me. And so I, I started cow calling and it kind of changed his direction for a minute. And he was, he was thinking about coming, but he, he just ended up, he's like, now nah, I'm not, it's not worth it. I'm not walking down there. It was like two feet of snow. <laughs> oh yeah. So I've just always been curious how that works in December with your calls, you know? Yeah. I just very, very little, you know, like if we're going to go through a bunch of, a brush or something and we're making a little bit more noise than normal we'll we'll hit them a little bit just kind of if there's something over the edge that we can't see just kind of put them at ease a little bit and that's that's what happened with the cow that i shot this year there was they were out mm-hmm. out in front of us we couldn't see where they're at and we had to walk through these stickers and so i just gave a little little chirp and they they stayed bedded down and they didn't get up until we were like 30 yards away from them so it, it does. It definitely oh, cool, does help. Man. I think. I think it's in moderation. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Totally. I, I. It's, it's just always been a thing. I've only called them since. Well, I'm like you. I. It's only been about I don't know five or six years since I've been actually bugling bugling bulls in. Uh, because before then, I was just under the impression, you know, it just didn't work. Uh, but yeah. Uh, now I see. You're screaming like crazy with that Maverick read, aren't you? Because I, I you've, you've killed a couple of bulls with that thing. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, and I'll tell you what. Ever since those those amp calls came out from Phelps, I have like a super super bad uh, reflex gag reflex. And I tried using mm-hmm. some Primos and some other ones, and they just I just couldn't do it. And that's another reason I never used those calls is because I would I'd start gagging, and so. I yeah. saw Phelps at one of the one of the um, sportsman shows, and here he said, "Try give give these a try," and I did, and <clears throat> they fit my my palate perfect. And I mean, I absolutely love them. Oh, sweet! And you're you're kind of over there in uh, Phelps' neck of the woods, over in Western Washington, aren't you? Yeah, he's uh, just north of me, probably about an hour and twenty minutes, not too far away. Gotcha. So, and you, so you get into this and you're with your brother, you're, you hunt a lot with your brother. Um, and, uh, you, you've got another buddy you'd mentioned earlier. I can't, I can't remember. I think you said Jason or something. Uh, like what does elk season look like to you guys now? Man, now it's, uh, we we're planning now for next year. We've already got camp spots cause we're packing mm-hmm. in on, uh, some private timberland that everybody has access to camping there and then hiking in onto some other uh, private timberland that is walk-in only. And we basically, I'm taking that first weekend and kind of using that as a scouting weekend. And then about Mm -hmm. midweek the next week, I am hunting from about Wednesday till the end of season. 
And last year it was lights out the last three or four days of the season. And I think I had a lot to do with that, um, that fall equinox. It was, it was unbelievable. We got two rut fest two days in a row. It was, it was awesome. So they were, it felt like you, they were kind of screaming a little late for you last year, this last season, kind of like for me, huh? Yeah. So the, we got a bull with my other brother opening weekend and that was kind of a shit show because we, all the private timber was closed. The only thing that was open was um, DNR. And so we had all these places, A, B, and C marked out on our maps and every place we went, there was already people there. And so we didn't even get in the woods until probably eight o'clock on opening day, which is like super rare for us. And mm-hmm. we pulled up, we pulled up to uh, a gate. And as soon as we got out, we heard a bull bugle across the canyon. So we just threw our packs on and went across and it was super, super smoky. And nobody was out really out hunting. And this particular gate is on private, but you had to go through a canyon to get over to the DNR land. And a lot of guys, um, they don't want to get very far from the roads. And so that's an advantage for us. Yeah, for sure. I think that's an advantage for a lot of like hunters that are actually dedicated to trying to be as successful as they can is, is their willingness to get off the road, get out of their truck, get off the ATV and, and get further than, you know, like it doesn't count if you're a hundred yards from the truck, but a <laughs> hundred yards from the truck is better than sitting in the truck. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I just, you know what I mean? Um, I, can you kind of walk us through, like, I, I, I know I've gotten a lot of messages lately from, uh, you know, new hunters that are just getting into elk hunting, and and they're, you know, I, I don't know what they don't know. And so what I'm trying to do is kind of shift some of my questioning so it's a little bit more uh, storytelling versus, like, a specific what do you think about the moon phase kind of thing, you know what I mean? And right. so can you, can you walk us through when you guys – when you guys – are you're in the woods you're off the road you've you've left the truck and you're in an area and then you hear a a bull bugle walk us from there what your process is so as soon as we hear that bull bugle and preferably on his own we are going to a check his location see if he's above us below us on contour with us and our, our, our best approach is try to get on contour with them because no matter what the wind's doing, if I'm at the same level as him, it's going to be a lot harder for him to smell me as long as the wind isn't blowing side hill, which is super rare where we're at because it's so mountainous where we're yeah. at. And we'll, we'll get in there and we'll, we'll kind of check his temperature. We might do a location bugle, see if he answers us back. If he does, then we'll shut up. We will not bugle until we get into, you know, that, that hundred yards where we think he's at hundred yards and, and maybe do a cow call first and see if he responds to that, check his temperature, see what he's doing. If he responds to the cow call, we'll just keep using the cow calls and we'll start getting closer and kind of basically still hunt towards him. And then if he, if we, Answers after we cow call and we're within 50 to 75 yards, we'll, we'll cut them off with a bugle. 
And I don't know if it's because it's Roosevelt's, which we hunt all the time, that that triggers them because we're so close to them. I don't know if that, you know, gets them pissed off and they start coming in because most of the time they've got cows with them already. And if, if yeah. he doesn't just get, if it's too early, sometimes they will herd up their, take their cows and, and take off. But for the most part, when we're in that close, it's, it's game on. It's chitty, chitty, bang, bang at that point. Right. Yeah. So you get in you're you know, 50, 50 to 70 yards and your cow calling, you kind of, when you say check their temperature, what kind of, what kind of gauge do you use to kind of determine, okay, this bull, he's just responding to a cow, letting us know he's over here versus, okay, the bull is coming to us demanding me to go to him versus, oh, that bull is pissed, man. And, and like, do you have, do you have a way to determine that and describe it to, to new hunters? Um, I don't, some of it has to do with the amount of times that you're in the woods and you've heard, heard bulls bugle and you can, after a certain point, you get to kind of differentiate between just a normal bugle and an aggressive bugle. It's kind of hard to describe, but mm-hmm. like, like dirt. Dirk talks about, you know, those, the getting the aggression when he's bugling back and you can kind of hear that in there. So they, they're, they're, I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe. It's just the intensity. It's hard. Of it's, it is, huh? It's like, yeah, it's super hard to describe that because it, it, you got to hear it firsthand to be able to even know the difference. So I, I know I'm putting, you know, throwing a tough question at you. I'm just, I'm trying to, Again, I'm going back to I'm getting a lot of messages about elk hunting, new elk hunters, and 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 they're really enthusiastic about learning. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is just get nuggets out of everybody that that they're going to pick up on, and maybe you and I won't because you know we, we've we've done this stuff a little bit, and um, and so I, I got I do have a question for you because you're hunting Roosevelt's, yep. and you're you're out there in west Western Washington. Um, and, and I'm out in that neck of the woods quite a bit. It's pretty thick country. That's tough country. Uh, it's a different atmosphere out there though. What do you, do you get a lot of flack for being a hunter out there? Uh, not so much. I mean, you know, where I live, I mean, this is kind of a, kind of a little Mecca because we have, uh, the ocean so close. We have awesome steelhead and salmon river so close that Columbia is just right here. Awesome salmon fishing. Um, not, not so much, you know, like even when I lived in Vancouver, um, really didn't get too much flack. Neighbors would come over and look, look at the, in the garage when I got something hanging or something, you know, but I was about the only person yeah. on the whole block that was hunting. So I've got a deer hanging in the garage and it's a little bit out of place. It's kind of a good thing, man, because there's, there's like if you go up that that corridor, that I five corridor up into like the Seattle area and stuff. You think of all the people that are there. It's a good thing for, for you know for Washington and everywhere else that hunting's not super popular because it's crowded enough as it is, right? And I feel like that's one of the biggest things that's, that's changed for for hunters is uh, just the crowds we experience when we're out there. How what does that look like over in Western Washington? Is that something that you've seen an influx in? Uh, this year, because I, it has to be because of this COVID thing. I don't, there's been, we've seen more people, especially early archery. I have never seen so many people out in the woods. 
Um, we're not in the woods, but on the roads. I mean, every place that we usually would pull off to go hunt, mm-hmm. there, was, there was somebody there. I mean, I could not believe it. And, but like I said, once you get off the roads and start hiking, we never ran into anybody. We never called anybody in, which is always a fear. But uh, a lot of times, what Gosh, we do, I did. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we take mountain bikes and we go to closed roads that are gated but they allow walk-in or uh, bike-in, and we bike in. We get into what we call the Goldilocks zone, three miles, and uh-huh. we're, usually in, we're usually into animals, no people, and the steeper it is to get in there, the, the less chance of anybody coming in behind you. And we've got trailers now. We've, we've, we've uh, really gotten away from just hunting right off the road. We'll, we'll bike in up to six, seven, eight miles and hunt. Why, why do you call it the Goldilocks? Uh, what is that? Where does that come from? <laughs> it's just something me and my brothers, we just called it that because it's, it's not too far. It's just, just close enough. It's just kind of like Goldilocks and the three bears, you know, they, there's always, I mean, more often than not, when we're marking stuff on our Onyx, we're at least three miles in, not anymore. And we're into animals. We're not into people. And we're getting shot opportunities. And so it's just. Gotcha. It's that, it's that hot spot right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I just, I I like, I like learning everybody's little, you know, the, the nuances of, of different hunting groups, you know, they, they have different terms for different things and stuff like that. And, um, I always, I always call it the sweet spot, you know, you, you've got to get, and, and for me, and it's different geographically for wherever you're hunting, it's going to be different in Western Washington than, Western Wyoming, for example, you know, but, uh, for, for, for me, it's that mile and a half mark is a sweet spot. And that's, that's usually where I start hearing serious bugles. Um, and, and sometimes it's been closer and sometimes it's been, you know, I've gone 10 miles and haven't heard anything. So, uh, it's just the nature of it, but no, that's cool, man. Um, (laughs) I, I, I'm curious to know, like when you're, when you're mountain biking, you've got your mountain bikes and stuff, you get a bull down. Are you just, you you just getting on your bike with the pack and all that weight and might mountain biking back? Uh, back in the old days. Yes. And it, it, by the time my brother and I, we did that. Well, I'm not going to say old days because we just did it two years ago. We were stupid. And I shot a bull on opening day. <laughs> and if we, if we would have just looked at our onyx a little closer where I shot the bull from there, to this end of this old skid road was less than a half a mile, but we got this bull cut up six miles one way, go in, drop that off, come back. We did 36 miles in a day packing that stupid bull out. By the time we were done, we were just completely dead. We didn't even hunt the next day because we were so, so spent. But like, I think yeah, it dude. was like, a month later, my brother and I started crying because we realized that that road was only half a mile from where I shot that road, that, that bull. I'm like, we've got to, we've got to start looking at our maps a little closer. That's brutal. God. Yeah, was, <laughs> That's brutal, man. He, he, he was cramping up so bad on the, I think it was the second trip out. I didn't know if we were going to be able to get back in. And in hindsight, we didn't have to go take that bull out, you know, in one night. We could have left it. You know, it was cool enough at night, but 
we're so driven. We want to hurry up, get this bull in the cooler, and get back out hunting the next day. But I mean, it almost killed us. So we, we learned a little lesson there. Yeah. Yeah, 36 miles, dude. I, I probably wouldn't be hunting for like three or four days after that. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's I a mean, lot of work. Granted, it's on bikes, but still, it's by the time we were done, we were walking our bikes on flat ground. It was it was pretty brutal. Yeah, I, I think uh, one thing that I've, you know, I've got a mountain bike and everything, and I've, I very rarely ride it. And so when I do, I've noticed you think, oh, man, it'd be cool to have a bike to go run these trails and, and get back to where I want to, like you're talking about. But the thing that I don't, I, I fail to realize sometimes is when you're riding a bike, you're using totally different muscles than when you're just, you know, humping into the back country with a pack uh, on foot, you know. And, and so that's, that's cool. I, I've, cause we've got areas like that. I'd like to try that. I, I wouldn't mind trying. I'd have to upgrade my mountain bike though. Well, I, uh, I have a trailer. It's a it's a Baku trailer, and I've had it for two years. But the last two years, we haven't shot anything where we could use them because the spot we want to use them, they were doing a bunch of logging. And so that cow I shot this year, we ended up having to hike it out the road instead of using our bike mm-hmm. because it was in such a steep canyon that it was no use. So. So, and have you, have you hunted anywhere besides Washington? Do you ever travel out of state and go after Rockies or anything like that? Uh, not for elk, but for deer, I've been to Idaho and, uh, Utah has been a, uh, pretty hot spot for us the last few years to go and hunt. Oh, no kidding. Yep. You go to, you're chasing, you're chasing mule deer down in Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, just South of, uh, Salt Lake down in that, uh, that area down there and there. Totally, yeah. oh, totally I know different what you're talking country. I, I probably know. Yeah, it's a totally different mm-hmm. country than what we're used to. And it, the first year I was down there, I got lucky and my brother was running up a ridge and pushed a pushed a buck right to me. And I was like, man, there ain't nothing to this mule deer hunting. And then uh, I, <laughs> I learned – I learned real quick the next year that it wasn't that er- that easy, and it took a lot of glassing, and I've gotten a lot better at that, a lot more mm-hmm. patient. You know, winter is a great time to get stocked up, geared up, and dialed in for this coming hun- hunting season coming up in 2021, so I want to save you guys some money. And first off, let's start with Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots are the boot of choice at the Western Huntsman. And it used to be, Hoffman Boots used to be like this little North Idaho secret with their hunting boots. But these boots are great boots. They won't cost you as much as some of the other top name brands out there, but they are every bit as good. And to save it even a little bit more money, I want you to type in the promo code Huntsman10 to save you 10% off at checkout. Now, I got to give you a fair warning real quick up front with Hoffman Boots. They're, they're like six weeks out right now on orders uh, because everybody is jumping on the Hoffman Boot train, and you should too. Next, I got Scree Gear, Extreme Mountain Gear. This high-performance hunting attire and gear is specifically tested for camel patterns throughout the North American continent, and it's backed by a great company. Guys, Scree has a great history. I tested this gear all last season, and I put that gear through the ringer up and down, left and right, to and fro. Save you a little bit of money. Use promo code THEWESTERNHUNTSMAN at checkout to save you 15% off and free shipping. That's a hell of a deal. 
check out Scree Gear. ScreeGear.com. It'll be in the show notes. Last and certainly not least, Phelps Game Calls, the choice, the selected call company of the Western Huntsman officially for 2021. Guys, there's some uh, big things happening with Phelps Game Calls, and I can't say enough good things about this company. What a story. Started in a just like this workshop, and now it's one of the premier hunting call companies out there on the market. And if you haven't tried Phelps Game Calls, you're really missing out. You you really are missing out on those diaphragm elk reads. Uh, they are amazing, and they will. The amp frame is an absolute game changer. Check it out at Phelps.com and use promo code Huntsman10 at checkout to save you 10%. Let's get back into the conversation, guys. Thank you to our sponsors, and thank you for supporting our sponsors. Here we go. Dude, well, if we should talk when we're not recording about about Utah, because I've got some I've got some honey holes in Utah I could share with you. Really? Uh, if if you're if if you're talking about where I think you know I I I grew up in Utah, uh, and so I yeah I've got some really good spots down there. But it, I, and I think I kind of know where you're talking about. If you're you're south of Salt Lake a bit, there's only a couple places you could be going from. If you're not going too far south. Anyway, yeah, no, not um, too far south. Yeah, that's great but country. No, we used, it's great country down there. Used, are you? Are you go go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, yeah, we used to hunt. Um, my buddy Jason, that I mentioned, his uh, dad and him bought some property in Idaho off the Little Salmon River, and we used to hunt up in there quite a bit. That was always fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now you need to come over to Idaho and shoot a bear with me, man. Heck yeah. I definitely would do yeah, that. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about that. bear hunting is coming, man. That's the next thing on the dock and I'm going to be doing some predator hunting this winter uh between coyotes and wolves and and uh whatnot, but I want to I I'm I'm pretty excited about this spring bear. I feel like last year I kind of gave it a half effort. It was really my first year uh going crazy chasing bear, you know, wanting to 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 because i was like like what you were talking about before we started recording i had a bear tag and if i ran into a bear i'd shoot it kind of thing but uh to to actually just go on a bear hunt uh is something else and uh it's it's gonna be i think something that is gonna take over my springs uh the spring obsession um because we were <laughs> we were talking about watching those videos that uh, brian call and ryan lampers make on, on their bear hunts and the way those yep. two dudes do it. They're so, they're so dang proficient, man. I mean, they are, they're like a well-oiled machine, how they go after those bears where me, um, well, I won't say that on the air, but, uh, you know, the saying with the monkey and the football and all that kind of stuff, that's my bear season. And so anyways, uh, you got into bear hunting, like you said, two or three years ago and you've gotten a bear. And yep. bear hunting's a little tricky in Washington, and it's getting it sounds like it's gonna get trickier and we should talk about that for a minute yeah the uh the fall bear season you know is is over the counter, and anybody can go and hunt and you can shoot two bears in Washington and the spring bear hunt is a draw hunt, and their wildlife commission just had a meeting here, maybe two, three weeks ago, and it was brought up on the Meat Eater podcast about outside influences 
not being happy with the spring bear bear hunt and voiced their concern about it. And the commission, I don't know why, but it, it they weighed in and said that the public did not, you know, really approve of this bear hunt. Well, it's not the Washington public. It's some out of state influences from California that, you know, their end goal is to get rid of all hunting. But this, you know, we don't have any hound hunting here in Washington. We don't have any more uh, baiting anymore because of outside influences. And, you know, it's just a death by a thousand cuts. And guys got to get on board and start realizing that, you know, you may not hunt bears, but there is going to come a time when they're coming after what you are hunting. And if we don't galvanize now and start You're exactly stopping right. this stuff. So everybody's got to get on board with yeah. it, whether you're a bear hunter or not, it's, it's hunting in general. That's, that's a great point that you make, man, with, with the uh, death by a thousand cuts. And, and that's exactly how they're going to do that. And the, the thing is, is these, these people that have no sense of reality in terms of what the wilderness of like somewhere like the, the Pacific Northwest is, right? They have no idea what an ecological balance is in, in these forests of, of the Pacific Northwest. And, and they, they, they run this, this, this emotional BS through our, and, and I, I'm, I'm careful with what I say because Idaho, the Idaho Fish and Game and the Game Commission, they're really good about not allowing outside influences uh, dictate uh, rules and, and seasons and any kind of changes that take place because Idaho's specific to how uh, they manage our wildlife, and that's through hunting, right? And so we're lucky here with that. That does not mean that it's not it's not an issue and can't turn into an issue down the road and in the future, but you guys in Washington – uh, you have this great Washington is one of the most underrated states in terms of hunting. And, and I've said this before, Washington is, is very underrated, very much underrated. And part of the reason that it is, is because of what you were just talking about with the out of state influences and the death by a thousand cuts. And if, if hunters specifically in Washington are not paying attention to this issue, that is how they are. You know, you, you could use the term nickel and diming you to death uh, with, with you know, you hire some company like a plumber or, or a car mechanic or, a, or whatever. And then people say, you know, talk about uh, nickeling and diming you to death. That's kind yep. of what's happening in the Washington State Fish and Game. Uh, the, these This agency is getting all this influence and they're, they're kind of representing it as if it's the local Washington, uh, Washingtonian population bringing this stuff to fruition and and when in reality it's these people that have no clue about wildlife and hunting and resources and conservation and all these things sitting in california making these kind of judgments and so eyes do need to be opened uh to this because it's a serious threat man yeah and one thing that makes it worse these these meetings they've been having they're a zoom meeting and so anybody and everybody can get on these zoom meetings and they can start voicing their opinions. And it's kind of, I mean, the hunters, they, there was not a, you know, a great presence there because a lot of these meetings are in the middle of the week when guys are working. So that, mm -hmm. that didn't help. And, you know, these, these people that don't like the bear hunting, don't like hunting in general, they're, all they care about is the individual animal. They don't care about the whole, the entire, like you're saying, all the management, you know, I keep yeah. saying, you know, you, you got to manage. It's, it's not, wildlife. it's not a holistic approach. 
No, it's not. And you've got to manage wildlife. You can't manage feelings. And it's just the way that they want to do it, it doesn't work. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And again, I, I do want to just make the point to the audience. Uh, and I'm sorry about this. For some reason, we do have like a major delay here going on. So I don't, I'm not purposely trying to talk over Mike and he's not purposely trying to talk over me. It's just coming out that way. And it just happens sometimes. That's uh, the breaks when you're uh, recording remotely. So anyway, getting back to that. Um, yeah, Mike, I, I, I don't know what can be done with that other than, um, you know, when those meetings do come up, uh, we need to let it be known. It needs to be known because they're not great at like promoting the fact that there's a meeting coming up and it's a Zoom meeting. Because if if they're allowing outside influences from California, you sure as hell have an advocate here sitting in Idaho. I'll make sure I'm on those meetings and I will voice my opinion. And I know there's a lot of other Idahoans that would do that, too. And it's it's kind of for selfish reasons, too, because Washington has some very good spring bear hunting opportunities like there's a lot of bears in washington right and it, it would it would lessen the burden on idaho's spring bear season if washingtonians were able to stay in washington and hunt there versus coming over here and so that with that argument i think i can make a case that you we could get a lot of idaho hunters to jump on that meeting and make sure those out, outside influences are balanced out with influences that actually know a thing or two about a holistic pro approach to wildlife management. Yeah, no, that'd be good. The next meeting is uh, January 8th. And if, if people really want to get involved, if you get onto the Washington department of fishing game, you can get on their emailing uh, list and they'll email you and tell you when these meetings are coming out. The commission, the commission I'm pulling that up it. right now. Yeah. Washington fishing game. Yeah. I don't know exactly where that yeah, links at, Washington, but it's, it's um, Washington department of fish and wildlife. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find it here. Hunting probably. Uh, gosh, man, it's been a long time. I don't think when I hunted Washington, cause I used to live in Spokane and, and I'd hunt Washington uh, over there. So, but that was before you had anything online, I think. Um, so I've never been on this website. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, and my internet's taken first. So what I'll do, I'm going to find, I'm going to find out that, um, where there, cause they've got to put it somewhere on their website or something. And I'll put the link in the show notes so people could jump on there and make sure that they're, whether you're in Washington, whether, you know, I don't care if you're in New Mexico listening to this. Uh, if you have time to jump in on that meeting to help balance out some of these anti-hunting, uh, anti-spring bear hunt, California type folks that want to meddle in our business, um, it's going to be on there. So I'll pull that up when my, my inner, it's storming outside. So of course my internet's not cooperating. <laughs> yeah, so no, at, least we, at least you're coming in good, dude. <laughs> it's storming pretty bad here. It's pretty windy and of course rainy like it always is. Is it, yeah, is it's it crazy. It's over raining it? here, dude. It's, it's really? no, it's raining. It's Whoa. it's supposed to be. It should be snowing. So we got at my house uh, like two days ago. We got 18 inches at my house in like I don't know 36 hours, something like that. It was crazy. And then all of a sudden it warmed up and it's been raining ever since. So which I'm kind of glad because that would have been a lot of snow. Jeez. Yeah, we get maybe see. maybe yeah 
two, three inches. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't stick around there, does it? No, it's gone. It's gone real quick. So overall, as as a hunter, where you're at, and kind of your perception, what do you see as as whether it's within the hunting community or like you know just as a whole society in in general, what do you see as like problems that need to be solved and threats that need to be acknowledged uh, for hunters? I think the biggest thing is people need to quit beating down other hunters for what they shoot, what they wear, where they hunt, uh, what animals they kill. It I, They go on these threads on Facebook and I don't even post anything on there anymore because it's just like a beat down fest of if you don't hunt that way, if you don't wear those clothes, if you don't shoot that gun, if you shoot a certain deer, if it's not, you know, a gigantic buck, people are, are beating down people. And, yeah. you know, when you get when you get new hunters in, that's not what you want to do. You don't want to beat somebody down because I don't know how you are, but when someone just beats you down and beats you down, you don't even want to put any effort out. You just want to just give up and walk away. And yeah, well, this, and it, it makes it, me want to keep to myself too. Exactly. And, you know, I'm not saying you're going to be sharing your honey holes, you know, but it's, I mean, knowledge, just basic knowledge so that you can help somebody. So they don't um, make some of the, the big mistakes that you did and help them a little sooner, you know, kind of take some of the steps out of learning. Um, Cause people don't have people like my dad or my brothers to help them learn things. And they're getting coming into this thing cold. I know how guys are and they don't want to give yeah. up their, their tricks and trades. I get that. But I mean, a little bit like people asking about packs or a gun, is this a good gun? And people just blow them up and then they don't want to ask any more questions. It's, it gets, it gets getting yeah. ridiculous. It's getting worse in my opinion. It is. It's getting a lot worse, man. And it's something that has been concerning me for a long time. It is getting the only positive thing that I see on from hunters, uh, you know, on like Facebook that, that I get a kick out of and it's kind of off topic, but I want to circle back to that. But, um, did you notice during December people, dudes are like wanting to share their living room Christmas tree set up, but they're always aiming the camera just to get that, the big buck on the wall or the big elk on the wall to make sure that's in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, check out our Christmas tree on. And plus, I've got that big, uh, you know, 5.199 inch buck up there. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm kind of guilty of that. Not that I had something on on one of these pages. I am too. I I am too. I I saw a post and this guy's got these deer on the wall. I didn't care about the deer. I wanted to know what his his wall was in the back where he got the wood for it because I want to do the same thing and you know downstairs where I've got all my stuff. It looked really mm-hmm. cool and nothing to do with the racks, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> I I've I've been guilty of that too. It's it's it was just comical the way it was going down. Like they they people weren't even picking up on it, but I I noticed it. They're like they could have taken a really good picture of the Christmas tree. But instead, they went way back so that the elk 
the bear rug and the mule deer and the white tail that's all in the picture. It was pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, getting, getting back to what you were talking about, it has gotten super ugly. Um, and, and that's that, that kind of, that kind of infighting amongst hunters, that's, that's going to bite us in the ass in the end. And, and, and like you said, uh, nobody's trying to give, or, well, I will, I'll take that back. Some people are trying to get spots and, and I get that, but I tell you what, I I wish when I was like 17 years old or 20 years old or, or whatever, a lot younger than I am now, I wish I had access to things like, the advice of several thousand hunters across the Western United States to ask on, on, on a page like elk addicts or is it September yet or whatever. I wish I, I wish that that was available to me back then. And I wish things like these podcasts were available to me back then. Um, and and all that stuff because not everybody has a great hunting mentor. And so that that's where we go wrong though, because now I'm noticing a lot less people it's turned into less of a, Hey, what, what do you suggest for this? And what do you suggest for that? And do you have any advice for me kind of thing? Because they just get verbally abused once they do that. Uh, now it's changed into this thing where, look, I, I shot the biggest buck. I shot the biggest bull. Uh, I've got the most likes and, and all that kind of stuff that is just kind of turned it ugly. And, and I don't know what to do about it, man. Like there's, there's not a, an, a, a decent answer in my mind as to how to help people fix that other than talk about it on this show. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I mean, the podcasts are awesome. Um, but like the online courses, those have really, really helped i think a lot of people who were you know getting shut out on these uh facebook threads yeah you know it's like you know the elk collective and uh, elk 101 um, that elk collective that dirk and those guys did is i mean i can't believe how many modules i didn't even get through the whole thing before season started and they keep adding more and more stuff to mm-hmm. it and there's a ton of information that if people have questions i guarantee they're, they're going to be on that stuff Oh, for sure. It's going to be, it's going to be in there. And plus things that like a new, let's say you're a new hunter, things that you won't even think to ask are going to be in on those kind of platforms. And then what makes me nervous is Dirk's like, oh yeah, we're going to, you know, we're, it's not just going to be uh, a one-time, you know, thing and then it's done. We're going to keep adding and updating content. And it's like, dude, you got to wait, man. I haven't even caught up with all the stuff that you've already put on there and, and let alone whatever you're going to put on there for this year. It's, it's a lot. And, and it's, it's like, the, there's a lot of those resources and I, I talk about them almost every episode and those resources are out there. Can you imagine, like, uh, I think you and I are, are pretty close to the same age, but like when we were teenagers, if we had something like the elk collective or like blue collar, elk hunting or, or like elk calling Academy, all those, all those resources that you were talking about. Can you imagine if those were at our fingertips when we were like 17 years old, I would have ate that up. Yep, exactly. I would have dropped out of high school. I would have dropped out of high school. to go through those. <laughs> oh yeah. It would have kept me out of a lot of trouble too. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, man. I probably, I, I spent a lot of time getting my uh, 1977 Chevy pickup stuck in the mud and like, I, I think I'm past the point of, uh, what do they call that? The, the statute of limitation or something. I used to go up to these construction sites and ram porta johns with my pickup truck and I got busted <laughs> doing that. And, uh, 
you know, you do that. I would get going, dude, like 35, 40 miles an hour with my, I had this big steel custom bumper on the front of this pickup and I had a lift on it and all this stuff. Get going 35 miles an hour up at these, up on these, these, this subdivision they're building at like midnight and we'd slam into these porta potties and they'd just fucking explode. And <laughs> I, it, anyways, I got, I got busted one time. The cop knew they caught, they, they finally caught onto it. The fact that we were up there doing that. So they were just kind of laying in wait in the shadows one night and busted me. If I'd have had those resources, I'd have been busy studying how to elk hunt versus hitting Porta Johns. That's the kind of trouble I used to get into. Oh yeah. We, we used to do mountain parties and <laughs> I, I shudder to think about my, my boys, you know, I don't, they haven't told me all that they used to do, but I know that those stories are coming. <laughs> <laughs> well it's, it's probably good they haven't told you you probably have a few less gray hair since they've kept it quiet so far yeah no they just give me little bits and pieces so i don't have a heart attack i guess <laughs> yeah i've i've told some doozies to my like my parents they uh, once i got older you know and i'm telling them they're like you know what happened that one time they they bought this land cruiser real fancy back back in the 90s a land cruiser was pretty damn fancy you know it's, it's a high-end car whatever and and uh they're like why was the land cruiser all muddy on the undercarriage but the rest of it was super clean when we got back from our trip we went on <laughs> and so i finally fessed up that i i had that i had that thing airborne man on this dirt road up up past our house a little ways and up in the i mean that thing that sucker was airborne and then i when i landed it popped a tire and so I thought I snapped the axle and, and I thought I was going to be in big trouble, but uh, lo and behold, it was just a pop tire. However, I landed. So I, I just put the spare on and put the pop tire up underneath and, and, uh, just acted like I didn't know what happened, but they found out about five or six years later, I finally fessed up to it. <laughs> they always do. They always do. <laughs> so those stories are coming. How old are your boys now? Uh, my oldest is 26 or 27. I can't keep track of my youngest is getting ready to turn 21 here in March. Oh, so you've, you've got, uh, one turning 21 in March. And what do you do for a living, Mike? I never asked you that. I am a structural iron worker. Oh, cool. I'll bet. Yeah. You stay pretty busy on the, out on the West side doing that kind of stuff. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, it's been a good career for me. I wouldn't let my kids do it, but uh, <laughs> I don't have to worry about them up up on the iron, you know. Do uh, do your boys hunt with you? Um, my oldest boy, not so much anymore. He's been so busy with work. Uh, but my youngest boy, um, he hunts with me every year. Like I said, he got his first bear um, this August, and he's gotten an elk and a couple deer. So when he's got time, he definitely goes, but you know, you know how right it is. On. When you're so, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So coming up this year, uh, here it is. We're January, 2021. Hopefully, you know, we're going to have a better year than last year. Um, but what, what does hunting season look like? What, what tags are you, you planning on hunting and what kind of goals are you setting for this year? Uh, so Washington will, we'll put in, you know, for all the deer, elk, bear, everything we can. And then we hopefully will draw Utah again this year. And my brother, my youngest brother is talking about going to Oregon 
and uh, doing a spring bear hunt there. But uh, it sounds like Idaho might be in play. <laughs> hey, with with Oregon, is that is that an over the counter? Yeah, um, for well, you know what? I'm not gonna say because I have guys, my buddies at work. I swear that they put in, but I think there's like you have to put in an east side or west side. I'm not sure how it works, but it's a lot more um, yeah, opportunity up. than the Washington because Washington is there's limited tags. There's hardly any on the west side, and they're mostly all on the east side. So it's a draw huh. system for our spring. Right. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. That sucks, man. Um, but hopefully, I don't know. I don't know how to get that changed for you guys, but – uh, yeah, you, you just might have to shoot, shoot on over here to Idaho and uh, go after a spring bear, man. We got, we got plenty of them. Actually, <laughs> when I went out spring bear hunting last year, uh, it, it was nice, man. That, like I was, I was one of the only hunters out on the mountain. Um, it, it was just, it was super solitary. I had I still had a ton of snow to deal with in certain areas that, you know, once you hit a certain elevation, it was, it was tough. I, you know, you had to, throw the the snowshoes on and and uh, get up into those areas where they're at but uh all in all it's it's not a horrible place to hunt bear yeah no i the last time i hunted idaho i saw um it was fall and we saw i saw a bear running through an old burn and i didn't even know what the heck i was looking at as it was going over the logs and finally realized it, it was just a small bear but that was really one of the first bears i'd seen yeah. out out Yeah. So I think besides when I was uh, in, I was stationed in North Carolina when I was in the service and we were doing this Humvee training, like you had to get this certification to drive the Hummers, right? And part of that is to get the certification, you had to drive at nighttime on these dirt roads with night vision on with, you know, no headlights, no, no lights or anything, but you had to drive through this course in the woods um, wearing night vision goggles. And it was kind of fun. I, I, I ran over this tree and knocked the tree down and like, it didn't even slow the Hummer down. It wasn't a huge Jeez. tree, but it was still cool. But anyway, um, the first time I ever saw a bear in the wild was that night, like four little teeny black bears go running across the road. And in North Carolina, coastal North Carolina, they're little, they're like, you know, um, they're like raccoons on steroids is, is kind of how I, I like to describe the bears in North Carolina. They're just teeny. Uh, and then after that, it was all, I saw bunches of them when I hunted Washington in Eastern Washington, uh, to include a grizzly bear once up, up kind of in oh, that oh. Colville area. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that was cool. That was cool to see. I don't think there's a ton of grizzly bears over there, but, but, uh, I happened, I happened upon one once and it was a small one. Um, but anyways, now, now I see them all the time, but, um, it's, it's cool how that works too. Uh, and so I want to get your take, Mike, on um, basically, again, going back to I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is, uh, you know, cater to a lot of the messages that I'm getting. I get tons of emails and tons of messages on social media and stuff and people requesting things on the show. And, and I've been kind of asking all the guests this same question, because I think that with the different various levels of hunters that we get out there, uh, you know, like from you and other guests that we've had on the show, 
we're going to get a little bit of something else and a little something different from everybody. So basically the question would be along the lines of um, let, uh, and let's keep it elk hunting specific. And then I'll, we, we can even roll into a deer hunting topic if you'd rather, but uh, it, somebody getting into elk hunting, can you give us a, like your, your top three things that you would, you would give them advice on and, and to help them facilitate them to be, become successful in the elk woods? Um, I guess the number one thing is get out early and scout. And I'm not talking August, July. I'm talking right now, get out, get your cameras out. That's what we did last, you know, last weekend. We set out five cameras and we've got another five. We got to get set out, but you need to look for travel corridors and it, it might be a little different for me over here on the West side, but I'm looking for rubs from last year, years ahead of that, you know, four or five years ago, someplace that shows me that those elk are congregating during the rut at that time. Start looking for benches. That, you know what? That Let me stop you right there. That That's really good advice because I don't think anybody's ever talked about that. Um, talking about the congregated areas where elk rut, and one of the best ways to determine that are through the rubs. And, and so that is actually super solid advice, Mike. I appreciate you saying that. And let's, let's talk about that for just, let's stay on that for just a minute. Um, how do you find those rubs? How do you, what are you looking for? How do you know it's an elk rub? How, how do you, how far are you going to find? And that's going to be, you know, obviously based on geographical location, it's going to be different in each state. Uh, but can you, can you spend a little more time on, on that particular topic? Uh, yeah. Um, so when we're looking for, you know, activity from previous years, we're looking to make sure it's not um, an early season where they're, you know, rubbing their velvet off because those those rubs, you know, they're just you can kind of tell they're they're hitting the branches and they're just knocking off the leaves. They're like alders is what we usually see them rubbing their uh, alders off or their uh, velvet off of. But the, the, the rubs we're looking for are the ones that are on hemlocks or big, gnarly alders where they have just shredded and just really gone after. You can tell the difference from when they're just kind of playing with it and when they're really getting after it, where you see those tines dug, digging into the, to the trees. Those are the rubs we're looking for, and we're looking for multiple years. You can tell the difference in a fresh rub to an old rub. You can see the stuff on top of the leaves. You can see the age in them. But that's what we're looking for. And, and those those elk rubs are going to be quite a bit higher to where you can almost barely touch the tops of where their antlers have been uh, hitting. So if you're looking at rubs that are, I don't know, three feet off the ground and higher, those are most definitely going to be an elk. And the, we've, got, we've got bulls here in some of these units – where they are, they're hitting trees that are probably 18 to 20 inches around, and they're they're rubbing them. And when we first started seeing those where we were hunting, I told I turned my brother. I said, "Are you kidding me? I can't even reach as high as he's going up with his antlers." I'd really like God, to see this. I love that. No, yeah, it's, that's it's, cool, man. But that's that's the biggest yeah, thing that uh, we look for. God, I'm glad you said that. I don't know why that's never really been discussed. 
in detail like that before, but that's solid advice. And the one thing that I'd, I'd add to that, uh, to Mike's point, what he's talking about with the rut rubs versus the velvet rubs. So when the elk are rubbing the velvet off their horns, those rubs are going to be super dispersed and they're not going to be like grouped together very closely. Like you'll just see them randomly, right? Where a rut rub, where they're actually marking a tree, there's going to be multiple rubs in the area within. And I would, I, when I say an area, I'm not talking about a small area. It could be a square mile, uh, but you're going to see more than one rub. And that's another good way to determine uh, those are rut rubs. And like, like Mike was saying, you can actually see where those tines were just digging into that tree. And it just looks like somebody took like a hatchet and started scraping the bark off. It's really cool. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. All right. So that's number one. Um, the next is going to be uh, areas in September that the cows are going to congregate. And for us, it's uh, a lot of alder thickets and flats where there's a lot of water. It's nice and cool because in September, even though we're over here on the west side, it gets pretty hot. And those elk like to go and congregate where that, that water source is. Not so much because they're going to be drinking, but because it's nice and cool in those areas. And they just kind of move from patch to patch to patch. And when you're in there, and I don't like to go into where I'm hunting in August. I will stay completely out of the areas. I mean, that's not to say that someone else isn't going in there. But me personally, I like to stay away from those areas because September's coming soon enough and those elk are going to get pushed around and called. Yeah, to. So I try I'm with you on that. I don't want to habituate them to my activity, but... You can tell when you're in there in September, just start taking mental notes. Okay, this is a good spot. There's a lot of sign. There's a lot of rubs. And those cows are in here. And in September, wherever you find the cows, you're going to find the bulls. Great stuff, man. That's awesome. You got another one? Uh, yeah. So one thing that we like to do is everybody else is heading back to their rigs. They're heading home for the night. We will sit and listen. And we will locate bulls, and, and we're in the bugling. Don't bugle to them. Just listen. And we will start marking spots that night. So in the morning, we have a game plan. We know exactly where we're going and getting in on those elk. So you're saying you wait till after dark, and and you just kind of hang on the mountain, and, and you're just sitting, you're not calling to them, and, and you're locating, throwing your, your mark on. Do you use Onyx or Base Map, or what, which one do you use? I have both. I've been playing around with Base Map a little bit, but I'm a lot more familiar with, with Onyx. Um, but that's, mm-hmm. we'll just wait, and, you know, we'll be two, three miles in, and I don't care what time I get back to the truck, and we'll just sit there and listen. And my brother and I will spread yeah. out. And then we'll meet back at the truck and compare notes, and then we know where we're going in the morning. So, and and just to add a little bit of credibility uh, to what Mike is saying, um, because I've been watching, and I've actually i I tried to get I tried to get you on I think a few months ago, but it was still hunting season. You were super busy, but um, your group, you guys, seemed like you were posting a new elk that you'd gotten down every week for a long time. <laughs> like how many elk, how, how many elk did you guys get down this year? We got three between the four of us and we tried to, we tried to get um, two more. My dad, who's 70 now, um, 
he went out with his rifle <clears throat> and we took him a few times and I got him on more elk, you know, bulls, but more elk than he'd ever seen in his life. And the next day he didn't want to go. He was pretty tired. And I, I wish I wouldn't have gone because we saw, I saw a four point in an open clear cut 80 yards away broadside. And when I told my dad, I thought he was going to cry. It was, I mean, we, oh. we could have had this by far was our best. Dang. Year. You know, we usually take, uh, you know, one to two elk every year, lots of opportunities, but this year's really been, really been our, one of our best years. We, so no, that's, yeah, that that's great stats, man. I mean, you, you take, you take a, a group of four guys and, and get out there and, and three, three out of the four in your group gets an elk tagged out, um, that there's, you, you, you know, and you know this as well as I do, there's groups of 10 people that go out and none of them tag out at times and they'll be out all of September. And, and so that's, that's just saying something that's, uh, a really good stats. I'd love to come hunt some Roosevelt's out there. That's, uh, I've never done that before. Roosevelt are definitely on the target list. And, and so that's, that's pretty cool, man. Um, and, and I guess that's where we'll kind of leave it. I, I think that, uh, a lot of new hunters are going to get a lot of good information out of this conversation. So I appreciate you coming on like this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm glad to, you know, help those guys that are just starting to get into it. I knew you would be, I knew you would be, you're just one of those dudes. You like to teach, you like, you like other hunters, you're, you're happy for other hunters success. I've noticed, uh, and, and that's the right kind of attitude to have. You're, you're never like bitter. I never see you saying negative or nasty things to other people. And, and so I think that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on the show. And, and, uh, you're one of those hunters that we can all look up to and learn from. And, uh, it's, I'd, I'd like to get you back on the show in the future. So, Hopefully I didn't burn any bridges with having you on this time and uh, we'll, uh, we'll just keep in touch, man. Absolutely, buddy. And uh, definitely if, if you're looking into Roosevelt and you want to head over this way, I'd be more than happy to let you tag along. Oh, that'd be, that'd be great, man. Don't, don't tempt me. Cause uh, I'll take you up on that for sure. <laughs> uh, we, I love we it. Can hunt from, we can hunt from September all the way through the end of December. Hey, that's a good season. I like that idea. Well, cool, man. And it's OTC, it's OTC well, buddy. I love it. And I have already checked. I'm, I'm actually, because we were talking about that bear issue, I'm already on the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. So I'll, I'll look into see what the prices are and all that. And uh, we'll have to hook something up. Right on. That'd be fun. Cool, man. Well, thanks again for coming on. This has been a great talk. Thanks. I, I really enjoyed it. made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain